uh, one of the things that's so fun about the gospel is that it's not just this thing where God and us get made right together and brought into right relationship, but there's also this thing that happens where we're brought into family. Yeah. And people that, have you ever had that experience where you meet someone and they're, they're a follower of Jesus and maybe a different culture, different background, different age, and you connect with them on this level of like, man, this is crazy. We love the same father. We've been rescued by the same Jesus. We've been made alive by the same Holy Spirit. And you get to experience the joy of family. Well, that's one of the things that we get to experience as a church with other churches. Uh, what I love about the kingdom of God is that it's not just like frontline, isolated on an island, but all over the globe, Jesus is advancing his mm. kingdom and he's advancing his mission through his capital C church. And uh, one, of, one, of our, one of our church partnerships that we love, that we're getting to know and, and getting to learn from tremendously is Common Grounds Church in Cape Town, wow. South Africa. Uh, we got to meet Rigby Wallace, uh, one of the guys that planted that church years and years ago. It's now a church of like over 5,000 people. They've got nine different congregations. And, and guys, I can't even tell you, like they are incredibly influential and the way that they're advancing the gospel in Cape Town and the surrounding area is just profound. Um, they're, they're raising the job rate. They're serving the city. Uh, people are coming to know Jesus. It's just amazing what's happening there. And we get the joy of hearing from Taryn, one of the guys that leads one of those congregations. And, man, just we, we got to hear him in the nine, and it was unbelievable. He's the most energetic person that I've ever met. Uh, he's a surfer. Uh, he's married. He's got five kids, and and I'm just I'm really really excited for you to get a chance to meet this guy and hear from him. So, Taryn, why don't you come up, man? And I want to pray for you, and then you can deliver the word, dude. We're stoked that you're here, man. Yeah, cool, man. We're really excited. So, don't just listen to me pray, but why don't you guys pray for him, and then pray for your own hearts that you'll be receptive to what God is going to do. So, Jesus, thank you for what you're doing this morning. Thank you for Taryn. Mm -hmm. God, as he opens up the word, I pray that you would open up our hearts. And God, as he opens up his mouth to speak the word, I pray that you would, you would use the spirit of God to draw people to yourself. So come and move. We, we want you to save those that are far from you. And God, those of us that love you, God, would you, would you instill joy inside of our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, bro. I'm going to move this for you. <laughs> You'll see why that needs to be moved now, now. Uh, now, now, is that a term in America? Do you guys speak about now, now? I keep on getting confused faces just now, I suppose. Hey, just now. Is that the term? Just now. Okay, just now you'll see why we need to move that. Um, so uh, I'm a dad. Today, I mean, I'm so happy to be with you guys, but I can just show you my family that I'm away from today. Uh, my wife, favorite person in the world. Her name is Julie. She uh, works at a, a wine farm. We live in Cape Town, South Africa, and we've got five kids. Five kids. Eli on the right. He is eight. Six friend on the left. Uh, and then Ivy. You like to have a favorite? I've got one girl. She's my favorite. The other day I said, Ivy, I said, Ivy, you mustn't. I said, Ivy, I love you, but you mustn't hurt your brothers. She looked at me and she said, Daddy, I love you, but I don't like your face. <laughs> okay, so you get a sense of what I'm dealing with there. Bit of dynamite. And then twins is how we jump to the crazy number of five. Charlie and Sam are the little twins. They're clearly not uh, identical. Um, I, maybe I can just tell you a bit about myself, um, how I came to faith. I didn't come from a Christian family at all. I grew up in a part of the world where, honestly, 5% of the people I went to church and you know, believed in the Bible. And uh, that all changed when I was 16 years old. And my father, who was only 36 at the time, died of HIV AIDS. It hit the southern part of Africa really hard. 
and, uh, and it, that pain plunged me into questions that I never asked before, before that I'd always just lived for weekends and parties and girls and surfing. Suddenly I'm the kid saying, what's the meaning of life? Okay, what's, what happens when you die? That was a question. And uh, nobody knew what to do with a kid whose dad had died. A lot of awkwardness, a lot of awkwardness. I had one Christian friend who did fantastically in terms of moving in on the grieving friend. He used to ask me how I'm doing. He'd tell me he's praying for me. He'd even phone me and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. How are you doing? I mean, I'm 16 years old. This guy is loving me like that. And uh, one night he phoned me and I said, oh, I said, I felt really good because I realized my dad is in heaven. I mean, he's still alive. He's in heaven. And Nathan said, oh, what do you think heaven's like? And I, I didn't know the answer. I said, you read the Bible. What is, what is it like? He said something. And then he asked me the most politically incorrect, friendship-destroying question. Uh, Taryn, um, when you die, do you think you're going to heaven? Couldn't believe the question. I, mean, I never for a second thought I wouldn't go to heaven when I die. Until he asked the question, I got the phone call, got out of there, and I was like, whoa! I was freaked out by the question. That night I hung out with my buddy, who was a properly bad dude. I mean, he did drugs, he got other people to do drugs. I loved the guy, we surfed together, and I said, Brendan, I said, when you die, do you think you're going to heaven? He was equally shaken as I was. So I said, Brendan, I think you and I should go to Nathan's youth group on Friday night at the church, because Nathan seems to know answers to questions like that. And uh, that Friday afternoon, I decided not to go, and uh, I got cold feet. He went, the next morning I go to his house, we're going to go surfing, Saturday morning, come, and he's all chilled out and weird on the in his room, like quiet. And I'm going, Brendan, what's going on? And he says, I went to youth group last night and I got saved. I felt so bad. I mean, it was my fault. I sent him in there. Just, you know, oh, what have I done? Of course, it was a sign of things to come. I mean, I led my first person to faith before I'm a Christian. So imagine, imagine what happens once I am a Christian. And uh, now I've got two friends working on me, Nathan and Brendan. You know, and, and, and then I, I got my comeback. I had a good comeback. It was because we had to fill in forms. What's your religion? You know, and I wasn't Buddhist, although my middle name is Nirvana. I wasn't Jewish. I wasn't atheist. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't all those things. I was Christian in the same way so many Americans are Christian. And, uh, and then I realized, hey, Nathan, Brendan, back off. I am a Christian. You guys are fanatical Christians. It felt so good. I was like, come back. And they didn't actually know how to deal with that one. But it made me feel strong. And then they invited me to church, no thanks, church, no thanks. Then they had an idea. If the people on the beach won't come to church, take the church to the beach, they organized a surf camp. Got to give it to these guys for ingenuity. And I went on the surf camp and was, you know, I was struck by the authenticity of the people. I really enjoyed being with them. The guy who was speaking in the camp surfed really well. I respected him. And, and basically they'd sing songs in the night. And I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. I can sing songs. They tell stories. I could handle it. On the third night, Nathan tried to have a spiritual conversation with me. I said, Nathan, relax. I believe, bro. I believe. And uh, then he quoted the scripture that says, um, even the devil believes and shudders. I didn't understand it, but he tried to explain to me that having, giving mental assent to some religion out there is not faith. Even the devil believes the facts. You know, you've got to trust. It's different. Mental assent and trust and uh, so that kind of got under my skin. The next night, Roy shared from his life and shared his story of coming to faith and explained the gospel. And for the first time, I understood that Christianity wasn't 
about rules, it was about a relationship, and that, that, that Jesus is a savior and I'm a sinner, and I just fit perfectly. I mean, as sinners and saviors, they just, they just get on perfectly, like hand in glove. And, and, and I felt this. I felt the tug in my heart. I, I felt called. I, I just knew that this was true and real, and, 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 I, and I sensed this tug. And Roy said, everyone close their eyes if you want to put your faith in Jesus. Put up your hand. I was the only kid who wasn't a, a Christian like them. So I was like, oh, that's a lot of pressure. And my buddy was looking at me. So I was, I'm never going to put up my hand, but I... Next thing I find my hand in the air, I'm like, oh, what have I done? And then I try to get out the room at the end, and Roy said, hey, Terran, I saw you put up your hand. Um, do you want to put your faith in Jesus? And I wanted to say no, and right, yes, came out of my mouth. I was like, oh. Next thing I'm in a room praying with Roy to put my faith in Jesus, and then he leaves the room. He says, hey, now that you've got a relationship with God, you need to get to know him. So just stay in the room for a few minutes. I remember sitting there not knowing what to say, but... Um, then I woke up the next morning and I wondered, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Oh, and, and then, then we had a time of singing. And then I realized something had really taken the night before because before when we sang songs, I could handle it. But suddenly the songs turned from 2D to 3D because I could feel what the other guys had been feeling. I mean, God's Spirit living inside of me. I was given the software to access the living God's. And I could sense God in the room. And then I was in. <laughs> there was no coming out. And I got transformed into a rabbit uh, faith-sharing gospel advancing evangelist. And I've kind of been on that wave ever since. Uh, so that's how I come to faith. I want to speak to you guys today. My title is God Our Father, God Our Savior. God Our Father, God Our Savior. I'm not going to speak a whole bunch about dads. Uh, but God Our Father is a good theme to cover today, you think? And, uh, and how God our Father becomes God our Savior. And, and my prayer for this church is for those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus, you would rejoice in your salvation. Those of you that are still checking things out, to come closer, maybe today is the day <laughs> where you feel the, you know, the tug of the Holy Spirit like I did. And, and then for this community, it would be so awesome if your enthusiasm for the gospel, a spirit-empowered enthusiasm would just go to another notch, and that would prove to be a fountainhead just pushing you forward in your mission of driving back darkness and, 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 and introducing people to the reality of God in Jesus Christ. Yeah? That's what I'm praying for. So let's go to Titus chapter 3. I'll put it on the screen if you don't have Bibles. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. It's uh, written by this guy who planted a ton of churches called the Apostle Paul. And he writes this to a guy called Titus. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. A non-flattering description of the human condition. Uh, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, see that term, God our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that uh, being justified, I'll explain that term uh, just now, by His grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to do good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. 
When I became a Christian, uh, the, guy, the camp speaker had a surfboard and he sold it to me. And on the surfboard it said, radically saved. I was so proud of my surfboard, radically saved. And then I arrived at the beach and my buddy said, radically saved from what? And I was like, radically saved. I had no idea what I'd been saved from. But then I studied this passage. I, I wish I knew it then because I would have had something to say in that moment. This passage beautifully uh, articulates some of the major facets and dimensions of this diamond called salvation. The fact that God is our Savior. And I'm going to ask a bunch of questions, and this passage is going to give us some answers. We're going to learn about salvation. So the first question is, what, he sa- what does He save us from? What does God save us from? Verse 3 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, um, hated by others and hating one another. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying everybody's like that, but on the whole, the bunch of us, these are some of our traits. Might not be as bad as we can be, but uh, there's a corruption in the human experience and condition. By the way, those two words put together, malice and envy, Two fascinating words. You know that in the German language, there's one word to capture both of those. Um, It's the word skaudenfraud. uh, Skaudenfraud, which basically, it literally means harm, joy. And it's the name for the human emotion that comes when you're jealous of someone and they're going through a hard time and you feel good about it. Okay, skaudenfraud. I mean, that's an evil emotion if if there's any one. And... uh, but, but notice these verses. If I could find one word to summarize that verse, it, it, it would be the word death. It's a theological term. I'll, I'll unpack it. When we speak about the death that is uh, come like a shadow over the human race, I'm referring firstly to spiritual death. The fact that uh, when Adam and Eve turned away from the living God in falling from God, they were severed from this vibrant, union with God that was meant to be the human experience. I mean, they get, they get removed from the garden, and uh, they don't die biologically when they sin, even though the scripture said that if you, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. So whatever this death was, it was a spiritual death, not a, a biological death. Uh, but this leads to deeds of death. When you're severed from the living God, uh, you do a whole bunch of stuff that you know, stinks of corpse. So, so for example, uh, one, we won't listen to God. We're foolish and disobedient. Foolish means we think we know better than God. Disobedient, we just see what God wants us to do and we go, nah. Okay, foolish and disobedient. We won't listen to God. But not only that, even if we wanted to listen to God, we can't listen to God. Listen to these descriptions. We're led astray, slaves to passions. There's this bentness in our, the human experience that pulls us away from the life that we deep down inside know we should live. Uh, maybe if I could ask you to think of your, your life in terms of standards that you would like to live by. If I were to ask you, what standards would you like to live by in your most noble moments? I would, and then give it a, a, a height. It would probably be about here. We'd like to live about here in terms of our standard, the kind of person we'd like to be. Now, if I were to say on your average week, uh, when you're caught in the traffic, going through a hard time, you know, uh, where, where do you actually live? Maybe some of you are up here impressive, but I think most of us live down here. Now, I ask you, where are God's standards for your life? And they're up there. God's standards, your standards, where we actually live. See how much we fall short of God's standards when we're falling short of our standards, which are far 
inferior to God's standards. The point is that, that we can't listen to God. There's something pulling us away from God. And, and essentially this results in, um, in people hating and being hated. The idea here is that we live for ourselves. There's a Latin word called, uh, a Latin term, incurvitus insae, which means the inwardly curved condition. I always think of Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. Curved inward in self-protection, self-preservation, selfishness. Me before you. Me before you. And then spiritual death, which overflows in deeds of death, finally leads to eternal death. Because if you live your life separated from the living God, when you die, uh, that becomes eternal, that condition. And uh, if I can say it euphemistically, it, we slip over into Christless eternity. We slip over into a Christless eternity. That's what we saved from. Um, luckily, it doesn't end there. The passage now beautifully tells us what we saved uh, into and why and how we saved. So, so here's the question. What is salvation? What is salvation? And there are four descriptions, four aspects of salvation that I, I'd like to pick out for you. The first one is this. It says, so that being justified by His grace. Justified, uh, a big term if you're new to church, uh, simply means that, that the moment you put your faith in Christ, God declares you righteous. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, God took the unrighteousness of the human race and put it on the righteous one. And a, a, a remarkable exchange happened where God took the righteousness of His Son and put it on believing humanity. Here's the thing. Justification is not something that happens inside of you. It's something legal. It's something that happens in heaven. Justification is a, a change of status. God looks at you in a new light because you're in the righteous Son. Okay? So that's the first aspect of salvation. The second aspect of salvation is this regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Rege I'm getting this from the Bible, this Bible passage. Regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is uh, what elsewhere the Bible speaks about being born of the Spirit or born again. The Holy Spirit of heaven comes and lives inside of your heart. This is not a change of status. This is a change of the state of your heart. This isn't happening in heaven. This is happening in your heart. The Spirit of God taking up residence in your body. It still blows my mind when I was 16 and I put my faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God made me His temple. I shudder to think how badly I've you know, used this temple many days since then. But not for a moment the Spirit of God decided to move out, even though He knows very well you know, what's in the basement at times. But this is regeneration, the Spirit of God giving you a new heart, and along with it, a growing supernatural capacity for God that you never had before. Never had it before. You can't produce and generate uh, regeneration. It is a miraculous work of God. And it's invisible to the eye. It's invisible to the eye, but, not, but it's visible to God. And, and then thirdly, it says, by His grace we become heirs. Uh, it doesn't, uh, doesn't develop this idea here, but whenever the Bible is speaking about heirs, it carries the idea of God our Father, of, to whom we are heirs. We inherit from our Father. The idea of adoption into God's family. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Um, adoption is the crowning dimension of salvation because justification happens in heaven 
Regeneration happens in your heart. Adoption happens in heaven and your heart. I mean, that verse I just read says it. It says, see how his love allows us to be called children of God. My buddy was here just now. He adopted his little boy a few years ago. He's signing the adoption papers in one room and his boy sitting in another room and his son's status has changed instantly, but it's happening somewhere else. When we're adopted uh, in heaven, we become children of God. We are called children of God. But this verse says, and that is what we are. Not only is it a change in heaven, it's a change in our heart. The spirit of life who comes and lives inside of us, we're told in Galatians chapter 4, is also the spirit of his son who enables us to call out, Abba, Father. We get given this capacity to experience and know God as our Father. Ah, nothing is more precious to me personally. When I was 16, my father dies. I'm fatherless in the world. Six months later, I've got a heavenly father. And over two decades later, I can say that my heavenly father has been the best kind of father I could have ever imagined. Loving me when I don't deserve to be loved. Calling forth greatness out of me that I didn't know was there. Uh, you know, having some difficult conversations with me when dads need to talk to their sons about how they live. But a loving father... The same father that said to Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, has whispered those words into my heart, not because I'm special, but, but unique, but because this is just part of the, the package of salvation. And then, and then finally it speaks about the hope of eternal life. I mean, this, this just underlines everything else because it says, you know that gift of justification? Well, guess what? It doesn't just last three decades. It lasts forever. And you know that gift of regeneration, new birth by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it doesn't last just, you know, one camp, <laughs> one retreat. It lasts forever. And you know that gift of adoption? Yeah, you're going to be my child forever. And the coolest thing about eternal life, you don't have to wait till you die till you get it because the moment you trust in Jesus, life comes into you. You see, we believe not just in life after death, we believe in life before death. Woo! love this. This is called preaching yourself happy. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is what salvation is. This is what salvation is. And then, another question. Why and how does he save us? Why and how does he save us? It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Okay. Why does God save us? Oh, because he's good. Oh, because there's loving kindness. The Greek word for loving kindness is the Greek word philanthropia which sounds like an English word, philanthropist, the love of humankind. I mean, God loves human beings because he made us in his image. And uh, he loves us. That's why he saved us. And, and, and we're told how he saved us. He appeared. Okay, that's a reference to the incarnation where the Son of God became, you know, became a human being, became, came and lived among us. That God, our Savior, becomes Jesus, our Savior. And uh, he lives the life we should have lived, and he dies the death. I suppose we should have died. Um, you know, God loves us so much, he would rather die on the cross than live without us, which is what he did. Sorry, he loves us so much, he would rather die than live without us, which is what he did on the cross. And then what does and doesn't save us? This is such an important point. What does and doesn't save us? It says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
So that tells us how we don't get saved, and it tells us how we do get saved. Um, if I can illustrate this point, a uh, long time ago, I remember being at a party, uh, and this girl comes and chats to me, and she says, I, I heard that you work in a church, so you must know spiritual stuff. She says, I'm not a Christian, but I'm what you could describe as a spiritual seeker, and I want to know the truth, and I know God is real, but I just want to know who he is. And I've been praying, God of the universe, whoever you are, show yourself to me. And the other night I had a dream, and it was so vivid, I think it's a clue. Maybe you can help me decipher the dreams. I was like, oh, this is an interesting conversation, a dream interpretation, you know. Uh, and, and anyway, she tells me her dream. And uh, she says, in her dream, she says there was this cliff face. Now, I looked from the airplane window down in Oklahoma. I couldn't see any cliff faces. But you know what a, a cliff is? <laughs> it's the happen of the coast and in mountains a lot. Just, you guys know what it is. I'm joking, by the way. Okay, so there's this cliff face. And at the top of the cliff face, there is a heart. And she says she just knows the heart is God and the heart is good. And she wants to climb there. So she starts climbing there. And she gets halfway up the cliff face and then she can't get any further. She starts to slip, climb, slip, climb, slip, climb, slip. She gets desperate in her dream. And then she says, she's about to climb down and she looks down at the bottom of the cliff face is a trampoline. I mean, how cool a dream sometimes, eh? There's this trampoline. And she says, in a dream, don't try this at home, just in dreams, she lets go of the cliff face and plunges, you know, into this trampoline and bounces to the heart. And she was so happy. And she woke up. She said, what do you think the dream means? I was like, I know exactly what that dream means because I knew this verse. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. <laughs> I mean, this is what makes the gospel absolutely unique. Absolutely unique. Oh, every religion basically carves out a path to heaven or nirvana or salvation, whatever that salvation is, and it comes through good deeds and religious devotion. The gospel alone says, no, no, you're saved by mercy and grace. No one is good enough to get to God or heaven. Good people don't get to heaven. Good people don't get to God because none of us are good enough. It's forgiven people that get to God. It's forgiven people that get to heaven. And the cross is Jesus's, is the, is the trampoline of grace. You bring the weight of your sin and you let go of your attempts to save yourself. Let go of the attempts to save yourself. I wonder how many of your friends, I wonder how many of you, maybe even here today, think you're a Christian, but you're not. Because you still think of Christianity in terms of this, trying to be a better person. No, no, it, it, the gospel says, let go of your efforts to save yourself and trust fully in Jesus Christ and, and what he did for you on the cross and in the resurrection and who he is. And then last question, what does, sorry, what does he save us for? We see what he saves us out of death, but what does he save us for? It says, insist on these things, which means emphasize these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing uh, to good works. Very important. We are not saved by good works. Not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. Because the moment you get on that trampoline of grace and mercy... The moment the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of you, you get given a new capacity for the things of God that you never had before, so that slowly but surely, sometimes, sometimes making significant progress in a short time, but they don't come nearly enough, you, you move forward in becoming more like Jesus. Instead of living inward-focused, 
you become upward focused because you're saved for a vibrant, growing relationship with God. And you, and you become outward focused instead of, instead of looking inward, your life starts to overflow in love for others. Because at the heart of the gospel is the love of God appearing to you through Jesus Christ. And then you start to incarnate that love to others. Other people start to experience the love of God coming through you. You see that? I mean, you guys know that every week you say, love God, love people, drive back the darkness. I mean, how were you going to drive back darkness if it wasn't driven by love? And how were you going to get the love for God and people if you didn't get that love from God? So, so the gospel and salvation starts to change our lives. By the way, salvation is all the work of God. You do nothing but let go of that cliff face and trust in the trampoline. But discipleship uh, is the work of God, but it involves high levels of cooperation. Okay, And uh, we're meant to be motivated by the gospel and the Holy Spirit to, to make progress. If I could pull together what I said, it is God our Father, which is Titus 1 verse 4, becomes God our Savior, Titus 3 verse 4. That's the point of my message today. And, and, and I know this was written, what, 2,000 years ago. But I hope you really get it, that this is still who God is and still what God is doing. There's so many fascinating things happening in the political arena, the economics of the world, world history, and they make headlines. Oh, but there's only been one thing that's been getting headlines every day in heaven for the last 2,000 years, and it's the work of God's salvation into people, through people, into communities, through pervading communities. God is at work in saving. Now, if I can sound dramatic, God sent me in a 40 two-hour flight from the other side of the world to tell you, it's true, it's true. Can I tell you some more stories just of the reality of salvation in my life? Uh, and, and I'll tell you these stories because you could tell these stories, but maybe you get faith. Maybe some of you come to faith tonight, but maybe some of you get faith for what God could still do in your neighbors and your friends and your family members and colleagues. And maybe this church just gets another boost of wind in its sails for the mission that God has got for you guys. Uh, by the way, salvation, I described myself was quite dramatic, how I came to salvation. But most people who come to salvation come to salvation much more gently. For me, salvation was like a bee sting. I remember the hour. I told you about it. I mean, I reenacted it. My wife, if you were to ask her, she's just as saved as I am. Uh, when did you get saved, Judy? She said, it was sometimes between February and October in year X. I'm like, you can't remember? You know what I realized? It's not how you got saved. It's that you're saved that counts. So right now, I mean, you could ask yourself, am I on the cliff face or am I on the trampoline? Because that's the big idea. How you transition from one to the other is less significant than where you are now and forever. Uh, but let me, let me tell you, let me just pick up in my story. My dad dies, and one of the last things he ever says to me, uh, sorry, let me, I've got, gone wrong in my story. The moment I become a Christian, I have one big burden that comes upon me. It's crushing, to be honest. And it's this, my father wasn't a Christian. He didn't believe the gospel. Where is he now? And honestly, I remember weeping, weeping as I, as I thought about this, and I prayed, God! I called out to God for mercy for my dad. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I come home from school. My grandmother is living with my brother and I. And we the guy, our dad has passed away, and she's there to help us. And she says, I found a Bible that belonged to your dad. My dad had a Bible. Can't believe it. And I open up 
The Bible in the front, it says, Ivan Williams, born, and it gives his birth date. And then there's a part crossed out. I hold it to the light. It says, born again, and it's two days before he died. I can scarce believe what I'm seeing. So, <laughs> thank you for celebrating that with me. And, uh, and then I, I need to know, what does this mean? I do some questioning, and I find out in the coming weeks that, that he's got one brother who I knew about, uh, Kevin, who uh, it was a, a really hypocritical Christian, if I can just say it like it is. You know, he preached the gospel, but his life just didn't line up. And, and, and people are really, he was kind of the black sheep of the family. Well, it turns out God can use hypocrites too, like he used Kevin, thank goodness, for, uh, for us. And uh, Kevin comes in the middle of the night. My dad's in the hospital bed. He flies from another part of the country, and he says, Ivan, you don't have much time left. You're not ready to meet your maker. I want to, and he shares the gospel with my father. My father puts his faith in Jesus in the middle of the night. I remember the next day coming to my dad, and there's about 10 of us around the hospital bed, and thinking, my dad looks so healthy. He's glowing. And I thought, he's going to live. He's going to live another 10 years, I thought to myself. And then I remember Kevin walking in, my dad saying, hey, everybody leave. I want to spend more time with Kevin. We were so perplexed by that. So I, so I said, Kevin, what happened that day? He says, well, he led Ivan to the Lord in the night. But the next day, he wanted to come just, you know, disciple my father and his brand new found faith. And so he came and he spent time with Ivan, who, you know, wanted to know more, as we saw. And he explained to my dad that there's someone called the Holy Spirit that doesn't want to just live inside of you, but wants to fill you in an experiential way. I mean, that verse speaks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on us lavishly. And uh, so my dad says, okay, and, and Kevin prays for my father. My father is immersed in the presence of God there in his, in his hospital bed, absolutely saturated, and, uh, and starts to, uh, breaks out in, this, uh, in, a, in a language he's never heard before. He stops. He says, Kevin, what's going on? Kevin says, I, I forgot to tell you that part. It sometimes happens that you get the gift of tongues and shows him in the Bible. Don't worry, Ivan, that's fine. It's in the Bible. You know, the last day of my dad's life, he is telling everyone about Jesus. They actually kept the kids from him because they didn't want didn't mean to see my dad in this religious phase. Meanwhile, he's wonderfully regenerated. And uh, I guess my dad had prayed a prayer in, his, in that final day, God, please save my boys. Because six months later, I come to faith through totally different means. And the last thing my dad said to me is, Terran, look after Ryan, my brother. And that was a terrible thing to say. It crushed me with responsibility because when I became a Christian... My brother became anti-Christian, if I can put it like that. Very hostile to faith. And uh, I tried to share my faith with him. He wanted nothing of it. And the more I prayed for him, the worse he got, honestly. I remember just being so discouraged. God, what's the point of praying if he's just getting worse? I actually stopped praying. I remember the day I stopped praying. I'm not going to pray anymore. I don't think, God, you can save this guy. And then I, I met a friend who was a Christian and said, you know, I've been praying for your brother. I really believe God is going to save him too. I'm like, you think he can? And he said, well, he said, you. I mean, okay, fair enough. And so I start to pray again. And I remember coming home from work one day and looking in his room and there's a Bible next to his bed, hidden, you know. I say, Ryan, what's the Bible for? Turns out he's met this girl. He says, well, if you're interested in me, uh, you've got to come to church. I'm not advocating this as a method, girls, but God by his grace. Eh? And, uh, and, and Ryan goes to this church and, and he feels the presence of God and the word like a hammer gets into his heart and he breaks in the mercy of God. He tells me it had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with you. You know how brothers are. And uh, so now my mom has got two boys who are Christians, Bible readers, telling everyone about Jesus. 
She's happy that we found something in our grief, you know, that are helping us through, but she lets us know that, you know, it's not for her. And now I've got one more person in my family I'm praying for, your dad, brother, mom, and I, and I remember the day praying, 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 been praying for years, and having, again, this supernatural assurance that it's a matter of time, just knowing it's a matter of time. I don't know how God's going to do it, and uh, I'm glad I didn't know how God was going to do it. One particular day, I go on a surf trip, or for a few days, I go for a surf trip up the coast on my own, I have a fantastic day of surf, I get back to my backpackers where I'm staying, about to go to sleep, and it's like the stars are all aligned, life is just wonderful, I've surfed, I feel so close to God, I feel so happy to be me, and I feel the presence of God in the room. I wish that this happened more often. I don't know how often it happens to other Christians. But I sense God speaking to me, not just through the Bible, which is how he normally does, but directly into my mind. It's like a whisper. The peace in my heart, the words crystallizing in my mind, just the, belief, the sense that God's speaking to me. I write them down, and they are strange words. Uh, the words are, Terran Ryan, that's my brother, is going to come to me full force. And I will use him to bring, uh, and, and I will use him to bring spiritual life to many. And your mother is soon going to start following me. So I'm very encouraged. I only really, I, I, I have no idea what this full force thing means. So I go to bed. The next morning at 47 minutes past five, I can still remember the, the alarm clock. The phone rings, seeing the, I mean the clock, and, and it's my mom's boyfriend, uh, atheist man, fantastic man, and uh, he says, "Terry, you need to come home." I'm like, Mike, what time is it? Come home, your mom needs you. Mike, what's wrong? Taryn, come home. Mike, what's going on? Taryn, Ryan got killed in a car accident last night. Your mom needs you. You know when you have a nightmare and then you wake up out of it and you're so relieved? I had a nightmare that I didn't wake up out of. That news was so awful. And um, remember people drove me. It was four hours from Cape Town, two hours, and then other people from Cape Town picked me up halfway and we were driving through. And... Uh, Suddenly, while we were driving, remember those words. Ryan will come to me full force. And I pull out my diary and I say, hey guys, listen to this. Last night God said to me, I, Ryan will come to me full force. Is there a more literal way to get to God, by the way, if you're a Christian, than dying in, you know, head on collision. Boom, you, are, you open your eyes and you're looking at the face of Jesus. And, uh, and here's the thing, they start screaming, but they haven't even heard what I read. I mean, the timing is quite remarkable. We're driving through a thick mist, and on the right-hand side of the car is a shaft of light. Not a supernatural light. It, it was like a light shining into a dark room. We're in a thick mist. I thought it was the sun above us until I realized the sun was still on the horizon. So it was like a rainbow of white light. I'm sure there's some kind of scientific explanation, but it would be so rare. I've never seen something like that before. And the timing! But I tell you, they were screaming for this shaft of light, which stayed with us for five minutes. I was overcome with such peace from heaven. It was like a, an invisible shaft into my heart. I just, Ryan's in heaven. Ryan has come to God full force. And, 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 and this is all part of a plan. And God is going to, a lot of people are going to come to faith. I just, I, I just read it. And uh, I get to Cape Town, see my mom and I hold her. We're crying, crying. Now, my, I reckon my mom will never become a Christian now. I mean, how could you ever love a God who could, I'm sure you can guess how I thought she'd say it. I was so shocked by what she said to me. She said, Taryn, after we're crying, she said, Taryn, God has given me a miracle. What happened, Mom? 
So listen to the story. Her atheist, if you're atheist, just think about how unlikely this would be. Her atheist boyfriend is working late. She's gone to sleep. This is the night before. And as he's leaving work, he notices a Bible in his workplace and has the thought, I should take this Bible home and give it to Therese. Okay, would you have that thought ordinarily? And she, he takes the Bible home, puts it next to her bed. She's sleeping. That night, Ryan dies. She wakes up in the morning, tragic news. Her sister comes around. She's crying. She sees the Bible. She says, it's a sign. It's a sign. Read it to me. Her sister picks up the book nervously, flips it open randomly. I'm glad my mom kept the place, so I know exactly what she read. John 14. Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to the Father. I'll prepare a place for you in heaven. I'll come take you to be with me forever. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that moment, my mom knows that, Jesus, that Ryan is still alive in heaven and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and instantly puts her faith in Jesus. To this day, she sits in church every Sunday hearing me preach. <laughs> she comes to faith through this, this tragedy. You know, when I was driving back in that car, I got a phone call after that shaft of light incident. One of my best friends, he says, Turner, I'm so sorry about your brother's death. And he says, I've been praying, I've been praying, and, and God has given me a message for you. Okay, this is a strange message. He says, here's the message. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. That's all, Taryn. Thanks. Thanks, Francois. <laughs> well... Uh, my brother, he died, by the way, he had been organizing this big party in the inner city of, the, you know, of town. He was a DJ, made his own music, and he died after promoting this party somewhere. He fell asleep in the car. So the party was still going to happen in his honor now, but we needed to get the music that he made on his computer that nobody had listened to. So I was given the job of going to the computer and getting his music off, which was all drum and bass, a particular music style, and none of the songs had lyrics except for one of the, the fourth or the fifth song, and in the song, it was a weird one, written a day or two before he died, um, of basically a car accident. A car accident, sound of um, ambulance, sound of a heartbeat, faster, slower, 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 stops beating. Somebody's died in a car accident, that's what the music is. And then the only lyrics of all the songs, a woman's voice comes on and she sings, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. I mean, I still can't, I mean, I tell you what I remember thinking then. God is in control. <laughs> and he's my father. And there is nothing that this world can throw at me that could ever tear me out of those safe, strong hands. There'd be nothing that could catch him off guard. And then I'll be fine for the rest of forever, no matter what happens. Do you know how much, do you know how much peace can come into a human heart through that? pivotal realization, which really is just believing that God is our Savior and that God is our Father. No matter what could come your way, I wish you could know those words. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Why don't you stand up? Why don't you stand up? I don't know what you're going through, by the way, but I got a message from God for you. <laughs> Sounds like this. It's all right. It's all right, it's all right. And um, I know we ended on quite a somber note there, but if you can even feel the joy bubbling underneath the pain, underneath the pain, God is a God who saves. Those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus, whether it was dramatic or gentle, 
rejoice in your salvation. You know, I was, all those years ago, I put my faith in Jesus. I've done so many stupid things since then. I've gone through so many dark days, but not for a single hour did God retract justification, regeneration, adoption, or eternal life from me. So if you put your faith in Jesus, God wants to remind you of that too and encourage you to rejoice in your salvation. You know those days when you're standing around going, hey, what should I do next? I've got an idea. Every time you have that thought, rejoice in your salvation. Just go, oh, yeah, yeah. God, thank you for adoption and regeneration and justification and eternal life. Thank you. I mean, that's the biggest thing you could ever get in this life. Everything else, every other blessing will last a few decades at most. This is eternal life. Rejoice in your salvation. Those of you who haven't put your faith in Jesus, would you seriously reconsider? Yeah? Reconsider. And maybe today you're experiencing what I experienced, the the tug of the Holy Spirit in your heart saying, it's time. <laughs> and if I can be so cheeky, I came from across the world. Today is the day of salvation. Today. Today is the day of salvation. Put your, let go of the cliff face and trust in the trampoline of grace. And you too will know the joy of salvation. And then if I can just say to this church, salvation might be individual, but then God puts you into a saved community of brothers and sisters. I mean, that's why we're going to do communion together. If we adopted into a father's family, we've got brothers and sisters. After the first meeting, someone came to me and said, I'm so glad that I've got a brother like you. <laughs> I've never met a person before. But you guys are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, here's the thing. We're a growing family. Adoption is happening fast and furious. God's salvation comes to you on the way to someone else. God gives you the joy of salvation, not just for you, but to infuse you for the mission you're on. The mission we're on as brothers and sisters in the Father's family. You've got some friends that are not in the trampoline of grace. You've got some family members. You've got some neighbors. You've got some colleagues. God loves them. You love them. Would you ask God to save them? And would you say, God, uh, you're the God who saves, but you do choose to use human instrumentality? <laughs> I'm available. Put yourself out there. Say, God, if you want to use me in any way, other than just praying for them, I am available. And you will discover the joy not just of your salvation, but being an instrument of the salvation of other people. I can't think of a more exciting thing than a church gets to see adoptions happening. And I'm standing here and I feel like God's just opened my eyes to your future, just little glimpses. And it's a bright future. And there are adoption papers. And there are, there are, there are many, many new brothers and sisters coming in. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? <laughs> and he's going to use this church. He's going to use the and the joy in this church is, is, is the secret herbs and spices. The joy is what drives the enthusiasm to share it because it's when you realize what you got is so good that you don't keep it to yourself. But when you get over-familiar with your salvation, you lose some of your effervescence, some of your enthusiasm, some of your power, some of your contagiousness. God is going to make this a wonderfully contagious church he already has. Many more people coming in. Many more people coming in. 
I mean, you've been around for how many years? Uh, seven years is the kind of a, this particular community. Five years, sorry. And uh, after five years, you can somehow go, okay, we've, we've kind of arrived. The early days are behind us. They're not. You're just getting started. Five years, you've got another 50 of vibrant, spirit-empowered, gospel-advancing, adoptions happening by the month, mission ahead of you. I think, I think I just changed from preaching to prophesying there, so I don't know what was happening, but it felt good to ride that wave as it was happening. Let, let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you that the love is not abstract. It appeared in Jesus Christ. It was demonstrated on the cross, and it's poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for saving so many of us in this room. Even today, God, I, I pray for people that right on the edge. Draw them in like you drew me in. Draw them in like they, you drew me in. That's you. And I urge you to trust in Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation. And those of you not ready, keep hanging out around these parts. There's stuff going down here and it's good and it's God. God, I pray for this community that you would make them powerfully effective in mission. Powerfully effective in reaching people for Christ. And that the gospel would not just go from here into Oklahoma City, but you, God, you would send the gospel from here into cities across America and to nations across the world. really believe God just wants to highlight the fact that you are not just his agents of salvation in this city, but that the Great Commission is upon this church too. Go make disciples of all nations. And some of you will be granted open doors of influence into regions beyond this city and beyond this nation.